morning, everybody. The Mary Griffith Show is underway, and uh, we're fueled this morning not only by Harvest Ridge Coffee from Refreshment Services Pepsi, but thanks to Will Spear, we have Pepsi Peeps, marshmallow-flavored Pepsi, just in time for the Easter season. I had one this morning. It's really good. There is no diet version. It's full of sugar, let me tell you, but it's darn good. So if you like Peeps and you're just tired of chewing, you can get a Pepsi Peeps and just swallow your way to Peep Heaven. Arla Stipper, keep your hands off my Pepsi Peep. We are also joined by the phone lines by our guest who is calling in, and he is Greg Kreinberg. Good morning. Welcome to the Mary Griffith Show. Good morning, ladies. How are you? We are wonderful. We're going to be talking today about the Historical Society of Quincy and Adams County, and they have for 12 years now been providing articles to the Quincy Herald Wig. And uh, Greg Kreinberg, you're one of the people who's going to write articles, and you have an article on Ben and Emma Kuhlman. Uh, Ben was a Quincy firefighter who died on duty in 1917, and uh, you have a personal connection to this story. So let's start, uh, I guess, with you and your personal connection. And then we don't want you to give the whole story away. We want to read about it in the uh, Once Upon a Time section. But tell us a little bit about their story. But first, a little bit about you and how you know the Coolmans. Okay, the Coolmans um, uh, were related to the Kreinbergs because... Um, Ben Kuhlman's wife, uh, one of her sisters, married my grandfather, uh, my great-grandfather, excuse me. So my great-grandfather was a brother-in-law to uh, Emma Kuhlman. Um, I had been doing some family research uh, before I started writing any articles. And I would come across uh, the name Kuhlman, uh, the Kuhlmans and Kreinbergs appeared at, uh, in the same articles several times. And eventually I decided to go ahead and read the details about Ben Kuhlman's uh, accident and his death. I knew a little bit about it growing up, <clears throat> but I never knew him. <clears throat> so I... Uh, I eventually read the, the article about his death, and I realized the fact that since he was a city firefighter and had one of the largest funerals in the city's history, that made me realize that this qualified as history and would be a good story. And the fact that his widow came to our family events when I was a boy and babysat me, and that I knew three of her grandchildren well and got acquainted with a great-granddaughter. Um, that would help me with the research. And I was able to get a lot of personal information from all four of those people. First-hand stories are always the best. So we don't want to give mm-hmm. too much away, of course. We want to read all about Ben and Emma Kuhlman. But he died in 1917 on duty Uh Obviously, he was a firefighter. Was his death caused by fighting a fire, or was there something else about his death? It was uh, fighting a fire. There was a car on 12th and Broadway that was that had caught fire, and his uh, crew was called out. They were the nearest 
crew at the time. And as he got off the truck and was approaching with uh, an extinguisher, the car exploded, and uh, it, it blew gasoline <clears throat> and flame on him. Mm. He was burned very seriously. That is not obviously pleasant, and uh, certainly uh, all firefighters who do that kind of face that danger every day. Let's talk about the public mm-hmm. aspect of this, because you mentioned the funeral. And uh, talk a little bit about um, the type of funeral it was. And you mentioned probably for the time it was one of the larger funerals, probably that year or many years before and after, in Quincy. What mm-hmm. what was uh, unique about the funeral? Nothing really unique except that it was large, and one of the papers did say it was one of the largest up to that time in Quincy with the mayor, alderman there, um, police detectives, police uh, officers, um, several city officials, as well as much of the, much of the town also was there. Did they, when we have a firefighter who passes now, the uh, coffin is born on the fire truck. Do you have any information about that? Uh, the newspaper said that his fire truck was in the funeral mm-hmm. procession, and also <clears throat> his helmet was on the passenger seat and it was draped. Um, that's all the information I could get from the newspaper. Okay, so a lot of this um, talking about the this Ben and Emma Coleman has been. Uh, from personal narrative brought down on her side of the family, uh, which you mm-hmm. you share. Um, how do you know when you get a good topic for an article? I mean, this sounds like it's very interesting, but you've known this story for a long time, Greg Kreinberg. Uh, why did what prompted you to now write it up for um, the Quincy Herald Wig? Um, because I became very involved in that topic, and um, since my family members were connected with the Kuhlman family, I was learning more about what they went through. Um, It just, I think with all writers, once they get a hold of a story they're interested in, it more or less grasps them, Mm -hmm. gets a hold of them, and and let go of it until you've researched every angle you can, and... uh, Especially when family is involved, even though my connection is pretty distant to the Fulmans. Yeah, I mean, you're, but, you've uh, really been researching this in a sense almost all of your life in the sense that you knew about it from the time you, you were a younger person. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you if go could, to... Uh, sorry. No, go ahead. To interrupt with this. Uh, a bit of regret, the fact that, as you say, I grew up... Um, well, with Emma, <clears throat> I knew her up till age five, and then I was, you know, at the houses and uh, visited two of her of her daughters. <clears throat> Even my grandfather knew the story of Ben and uh, Emma Coleman and the tragedy. Even my dad, but <clears throat> I did not have an interest in, you know, asking them about the past until they had passed away. So 
I was living uh, and growing up around many good sources for the story, but unfortunately was not able to utilize them. <laughs> that so that happens a lot. To, yeah, I would recommend to anybody right now that they sit down and talk with their elders and ask them about old pictures and about their past okay. before it's too late. Yes, you know, unfortunately, we don't care when our elders are alive, and then the minute our mm-hmm. elders are gone, we're like, gee whiz, I wish I'd have done this. So mm-hmm. uh, we keep preaching to the choir that we should all do this, but uh, I, I'm one myself, am somewhat guilty of this too, not knowing enough about the stories in my family. When will your mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time story be published in the wig? Um, I think Arliss might have a okay. better answer to that. Arliss, do you know when that story's up for publication? His first part of the story was oh. already published. Oh, okay. And the next part of the story is in a week or two. I okay. don't have the schedule right in front of me to tell but you But exactly. it's coming up. So those who yes. love that in the wig, uh, you keep keep a lookout on that. Before we let you go, Greg Kreinberg, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yes, there's another aspect of the story that I didn't find out about until I was done typing the main body of the article. Okay. So I didn't include it, and uh, I don't know the resolution of this, but uh, Ben's widow in 1946, she filed a legal action in uh, Quincy Court to recover her withheld pension. Um if the pension fund had gotten down to 25000 no more payments were supposed to come out to any widows, and that's what happened. So she and a group of widows and retired firemen who were receiving the pension filed suit to recover their lost pension, and naming as one of the defendants in this case her own son, one of her own sons, that was Bus Kuhlman, who was a city clerk, who was uh, part of the who was on the pension fund committee. So, Well, you know what? Mother, that um, is timely. That is timely because we're still, uh, we, we don't have any problem. We're giving everybody their pensions. But one of the major financial worries of the city of Quincy right now is funding the pensions of its police and firefighters. So it's interesting mm. that a death in 1917, a lawsuit in 1946, and even today in 2023, uh, we're still talking about some of the same issues. So will you, will when you get done researching that, will you let us know the outcome? I sure will. Okay. Well, we look forward to that. Thank you so very much for joining us today. We appreciate that. Uh, we've already, uh, some people have already read part one. They'll look forward to part two in the Once Upon a Time in the Quincy Herald Week. Thank you so very much, uh, Mr. Kreinberg. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Okay, we say goodbye to Mr. Kreinberg. We're sorry he can't stay with us for the whole time, but he's calling in. And we say good morning again to Arliss Dittmer. And Arliss, I know that you've come prepared to talk about a variety of things for the Historical Society, but let's stay on this topic. Um, I can't believe I'm giving the Quincy Herald Wig this much publicity. I hope they send me a check. But um, (laughs) it's been very nice of them for the last 12 years to have this once upon a time for years the wig years ago uh people wrote articles for the wig about history everybody's always fascinated about history what is the uh benefit for you know one more outlet 
for people to know a little bit about obscure things in Quincy history. But it's not obscure if you're that family member, if you're a firefighter, if you're interested in pensions. This story has so many different facets of why people would be interested in it, just this one story. What's the advantage of publishing regularly stories about Quincy? It's amazing how many hidden stories we find when we start doing research. And I guess I have to give a shout-out to the Quincy Public Library and their digital newspaper article articles and also the um, the society itself has a magnificent archive. Greg is very lucky that he had a story that related to his family. Most of us do not write about our families. We write about what's going on in Quincy, and not many of us knew John Wood. He's been dead a long time. No, I so. don't think you're going to get any firsthand accounts. So no. That is for darn sure, yeah. Yes. So we cover a variety of topics, and I think it's just a way to keep um, the community's history in the public eye. It's amazing how many people will stop you on the street even and say, I just read your article, and we love that. Absolutely. You know, I mean, as newspaper publications, as subscriptions dwindle, I must admit I don't subscribe to the WIG anymore, and so uh, even though I have access to it, I don't always get to read things that are in the WIG. And I surely used to enjoy um, all of the historical aspects of that. One thing that you talked about was the archives. I know that um, the former organization that owned WGEM and the Herald Wig, the Oakley family, their their family, funded a great deal of that archive uh, development. The Mary Weems Barton Foundation with the library funded that. Putting that stuff into a digital format, making it accessible, all those old, old, old newspapers, is extremely tedious and extremely expensive. History is expensive, isn't it, Arliss? <laughs> I mean, going back and researching, there are steps that can make it a lot easier, but that costs money. And, of course, you can't be thumbing through all these old papers or they'll crumble and fall apart. So one thing we always have to remember is history is being made every single day. I know that 20 years from now, maybe I'll still be here at WTAD, we'll be talking to the next president of the Historical Society about the new exhibit on COVID, the 20-year anniversary, you know, and there'll be all kinds of things that they've collected and preserved. So it's critically important that we understand that history is not just something that happened 500 years ago or, you know, five years ago or even five weeks ago. History is happening today and how it's going to be interpreted is largely due to what public record will have of how people reacted to that. Absolutely. We we do try to keep to a 50-year limit. We don't want to embarrass anybody because there's some funny stories out there. So we try to keep that. Um, yeah, you should have told Jack Freiberg that because he embarrassed himself Friday, last Friday on the Mary <laughs> Griffith Show. He admitted that on July 3rd, 16th or whatever when the when the West Quincy levee broke that he was taking um, tango lessons or something like that so even Chuck Schultz said you know Freiberg you may not have wanted to disclose quite as much we all talked about where were you when it happened and Freiberg was stupid enough to admit that so anyway everybody can can give Jack a little bit of of grief about that but you're right history (laughs) the lens also it's a lot easier to have when the lens is uh 
farther away, it's yes. a lot easier, isn't it? So and I am not the president anymore. Jeff oh. Freiberg is. Oh my gosh! Yes, you I, better not only remember did I, that. Not only did I humiliate him, now I've demoted him. Yep. So, okay, Jack. <laughs> what I am is respect. the column coordinator. In other words, I'm assisting the authors and organizing the formats. This is really a continuation of something Carl Landrum did. Yeah, and when Carl you Landrum. talked about old papers, every Monday morning, he would go to the Whig office and go through the papers. And that's how he got his idea. He wrote for 38 years. And then there was a period of time when there were no articles. And we took up the mantle as the Historical Society. And so, um, Arliss Dittmer, you're in charge of the columns. Obviously, they have to be a certain length. They they have to fit a certain format. They have to have some kind of, um, you know, uh, differentiation like that. We'll talk about that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our conversation continues. Welcome back. Arliss Dittmer with the Quincy Historical Society. Historical Society of Quincy and Adams County is here. Arliss is a past president of the board, and now she's in charge of organizing the Once Upon a Time column, which runs in our local newspaper. And uh, Arliss, you're mentioning that a lot of people take on the duties of being a writer for this. I take it there's no remuneration. This is something they do out of the love of, of history. Uh, talk a little bit about some statistics about the articles and how many different topics you've covered, maybe how many different writers you have. Just give us the lowdown because this is a big operation. It is. It is. And since it's been going on for 12 years, we have had over 70 individual authors. We've had authors who live in Colorado, who live in Texas, Indiana, who have roots in Quincy, um, family in Quincy, went to school here. They have amazing stories to tell, too. So when they contact the Historical Society and they have a story to tell, then I'm contacted and I send them the guidelines, which are pretty specific of what we are accepting as articles for the newspaper. Can you pull your microphone just a little bit closer to your mouth? Okay. Or, or just pull it to your mouth or sits closer, whatever is your preference. Okay. Yeah. Um, last time you moved it away a little bit and you didn't pull it back. <laughs> she's teasing me. I, I don't am, know if you can hear that, but she's teasing me. <laughs> yeah. I, and Greg is one of our newer authors. Um, we've had authors that have written one article, and we have three author, authors currently who've written over 50 articles. Yes, about every aspect. And it's not just Quincy history. We try to do the tri-states. We've had articles about Hancock County, about Pike County, about early settlers, um, the topics are extremely broad, and I'll give you another amazing statistic. We've written 595 articles by members of the Historical Society, and only 20 of those articles over the 12 years have been reissued because of a special event that we wanted to highlight. So it's new content all the time. It is. It's and new content. The great thing about that is you could go back and look at an article that was written in the last 12 years and say, hey, we ought to revisit this in 50 years, or hey, there's more information has come to light. Let's put a different spin on this. Maybe it's time to revisit this topic. Some There's really no limit to what you can learn. Um, we just, every day now, we see buses pull up here at the History Museum offloading 
children. The other day I had a chance to interact with a few of them as they were leaving the museum. Did you like it? Did you like it? Yeah, it was good. It was interesting. One kid said, I didn't know that stuff. Another kid said, it was okay. (laughs) That's typical. And you are correct. In the month of February, and we're not done yet. What? No. We have seen over 700 students, fifth graders from the community schools, both private and public, some home schools, some from out in the county. And I believe we've had some teenagers, too. Yeah, so it's I mean, been it, an amazing program. It really was uh, great. You see them go in. First of all, they, they're excited because it's a field trip. But when they come out, I did have a chance, you know, again, to interact with them. And... Most of them, you know, were smiling and vibrant about it. Like I say, it's okay. You know, you're going to get a few of those. After all, they are fifth graders. But uh, this is all about the Underground Railroad and that part of Quincy's history, too. So they're learning a lot about something they may not ever understand. And if one thing, if we can just get people to understand the Underground Railroad was not really underground and it wasn't really a train on a track, you're halfway there. Because there are adults who think that there was some secret tunnel built or something. You know, they still don't get what the Underground Railroad is. But that's why the Historical Society wants to educate people with these articles, wants to have exhibits at your museum. This is why you're so critical. That is one of our, part of our mission is education, and we do it in a variety of ways. We have our monthly programs. We do the column. We have special tours. Um, People come through the mansion. We have tours of the museum. And um, that reminds me, our upcoming event in March is not a program for once. It's our second annual trivia contest. Okay, good. And it's Look a, at her bring out her sheet to promote it right away. You're so good, Arlene. And I, I had problems at the last one when they would do Quincy history. I didn't even know some of the questions. Minute. If Arliss has to phone a friend, what hope do any of us have? But that's okay. It's still fun whether you know the answer or we're not, oh, right? Oh, it's so much fun. It's March 18th at 7 at St. Francis Hall. So please call the Historical Society if you want to participate. It's another learning experience, another part of Quincy. You had it last year. I think it was the first time last yes. year. And everybody had a good time. Yes. So these are stories about Quincy or the surrounding area's history. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what's the time frame from the moment John Wood walked in with his backpack on to yesterday? Or what's the time frame for history? We, we do have some that talk about the mounds and some of the early explorers and some of the early pioneers. I mean, we assume it's just John Wood who noticed us, but there well, were people going up and down the sure. river. And somebody had to tell John, well, I think a lot of people are not aware that the War of 1812 is so critical mm-hmm. to us. Not only was it fought up in Hancock County and in Iowa, the War of 1812 was actually fought there, but the reason John Wood and all these people got here was because they were paid in land. Yes. The soldiers didn't get money back then. They got the promise of land on the great frontier. Well, heck, most of them came out here and said, you can have it. I'm not living out here. And that's why John Wood and a few others who decided to stay got pretty wealthy because they would buy those shares from those people who didn't want to come out here. That's and, true. you know, they had a lot of land then. So just things like that. People, I think it's important for us to know how we got here. Yes, it was called the military track. And it would be land that would be given to you, descendants, or it could be then 
sold or resold and resold. And so that is why people came here. And some of the early, early folks would come to Alton, and then they would find a path up this side of the river and came to this area, Pike County first, and then into Quincy. And John Wood actually had a couple different locations that he explored and lived in. Willard Keyes is another early pioneer. We could have all been down in Atlas, but instead they decided... Correct. And that that one, I (laughs) tried to research that article, particularly about a man called Rufus Brown, who had the first hotel in Quincy. That was a tough one to come through and get that information out. This is, I think, another reason why it's so important. When people have something, just the other day I was talking with a lady who's a Girl Scout, and she goes, I still have my poncho from the 1960s, you know. Well, I bet you there's a museum somewhere that would love to have that. You know, I've got a lot of Girl Scout memorabilia myself, and, you know, again, I I personally don't think it's worth anything. It has sentimental value to me. But... Let's talk about that, because sometimes people try to offload things at the Historical Society, and frankly, you don't have the room for it or it doesn't fit your collection. But you also, sometimes people offload stuff, try to offload stuff to you that you say, you know what, we can't take this, but here's who might want it. There's some kind of saddle or something in your collection that came all the way from out in Washington or Oregon. It got in the family out there, and that's where they lived. But the guy was from Quincy when he served in the Civil War. So it made its way back here only because a good museum curator out there said, we don't want this. We don't want it in our collection, but you might want it. And so if you've got things that are historical around the house, uh, take it to Antiques Roadshow and make sure it's not worth a billion dollars before you give it away. But you can get a nice tax (laughs) write-off if you can get it appraised. Um, but you want, it's it's never, don't be ashamed to ask. You can always say, no, I don't want this. It, that's very true. And you do say, no, I don't want this yes, most we of the do. time. We do. And just think, we've been in existence since 1896. And people in Quincy have been giving us things since 1896. There's only so much room. So it has to be significant to the community for us to accept it. But you'd be surprised every now and then something will turn up. Just like um, some years ago, there was a tiny little book that was for sale at an auction, I believe, online somewhere. And it was about the Mission Institute and David Nelson. And so we had to have that. So on the very rare occasion that we see something, we'll buy it. 99.9% of our collection was given. Well, I'll tell you why, folks. Because they don't have the money to buy this stuff. I know you recently, a whole bunch of people in the Historical Society went together and tried to get some Civil War documentation. You were quickly outbid. And I think that's another thing. Um, You know, before you just shuck something, at least give some thought to who could this be significant to? And maybe the answer is nobody. But at least consider that because I guarantee you that probably the Girl Scouts of the USA Museum probably has a 1960s poncho but 
You never know. You don't. You don't. And what you were talking about was an Abraham Lincoln letter that passed down <laughs> through a family in Quincy. And some of our, we had records of people who had seen it. And we actually have a photocopy of it, but we could not afford it in the auction. Well, Freiburg has said it'll never happen again. He's going to pony up all the money necessary in the future <laughs> to buy anything you need. In addition to the... Um, uh, trivia contest. Are there other upcoming events that you would like to promote, Arliss? I'm sure there are, but you caught me flat-footed, didn't <laughs> okay, you? Because well, I can okay. talk about the previous ones. We had a wonderful one in January about John Benya, the architect. It was standing, standing room, room only. only. <laughs> and we had another fabulous one last um, Sunday with Faye Dent, who came from Hannibal. She has the museum called Jim's Journey, the Huck Finn Freedom Center, and she came and talked about the history of Hannibal and the relationship of the black folks to Hannibal and Quincy. You know, I think this was the idea of beloved leader who's now been called back to the military, that these monthly events would grow and grow and grow on themselves. And um, I think Rob Mellon had a dream for the Historical Society to really do outreach and open its doors. And certainly, uh, you know, the Banya, a local architect, you know, again, more than 50 years ago, so he's historical. But the uh, good thing Tony Cameron was doing the talk because he actually had to – Tony Crane, I'm sorry, Tony Crane got a lawyer and an architect mixed up. Tony Crane <laughs> was doing the talk because he had to go around and measure and make sure enough people – that they were not they were still in fire code. But – it's great to see this kind of outpouring, and you're going to continue to have monthly, not in March, that's your trivia contest, but that alone, you will learn so much, you'll have such a good time, and you'll just go and you'll learn a whole bunch of stuff about Quincy and Adams County and tri-state trivia that you probably had no idea. Well, that's just one category. This is general trivia. Okay. So, you know, we'll have, we'll have science and music okay, and so. everything else that goes along with it. It's just one category, and we had a couple tables that knew that for sure. Oh, yeah. Very impressed. So the, the, the Quincy history is almost the, the tiebreaker in a sense. Who, who, is, who is enough local? Right. Depth. And my you know, table. You always get a table up that has some good person good in sports and some yep. person good in literature. Every once in a while I'm called in for Broadway show tunes. You oh, know, stuff good like for that. You. But, uh, but this will be just bring people with general knowledge about a lot of stuff and brush up on your, you know, read read the columns. Go back and read all the Once Upon a Time columns and read Carl Landrum's books, and you have a head start, right? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, my table, all of my players were from Hancock County, so wow. um, we were kind of at a loss. Unless there was a War of 1812. Or anything, Black or Hawk War. Black Hawk or, War, yeah. Or the Mormon Wars, what we call the Mormon Wars, which are just a skirmish. That we're not, we call everything a war, and they're skirmishes. And um, yes, but we have to hype. We have to hype it up, you know. I know. I mean, come on, it's got to. It's got to be good. So, if folks want to join the historical society, and I have the trouble, I, I sometimes forget to pay my annual dues. It's not that I don't want to be a member. I just, you know, sometimes I have to get get my arm twisted behind my back. Give me your money. That's part of the problem. There's an annual membership. It's not a lot, but you got to remember to do it. You get the Governor's Post magazine, which is. Wonderful. You Fabulous. get free admission to, to all these events. Uh, how can people become a member and, more importantly, become a member and then maybe get involved? Maybe they'd like to help 
uh, put out a display. Maybe they have some skills where they could do some research. It's pretty uh, nitpicky research. You've got to have kind of certain credentials. You can't just have anybody back there in the archives. But certainly a lot of people, hands are needed just to guide people in and out of the museum when you have fifth grade tours. That's correct. We always can use volunteers. And you can call the Historical Society, but a lot of people join online, and they just go to our website and can join that way. But there's a variety of ways to join, or walk into one of our exhibits, and there are you can join there. So any time. And remember, the Historical Society has expanded. Of course, the John Wood Mansion is always the focal point of what we think of for the Historical Society yes. in Quincy and Adams County. They have a visitor center right next door. It has some Lincoln artifacts and some other artifacts in it. And now here at 4th and Main, this beautiful old library building has been converted to a history museum with, with permanent and rotating exhibits. And again, they really need our financial support and I'll call it emotional support. Come out. Bring your neighbors. They talked this morning about isolation among uh, older people. These these events, uh, by and large, are at 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. You're home before it gets dark. And this is right in the wheelhouse of older people. You know, maybe you know somebody who's, like, feeling isolated or whatever. Get them to this. They would love to hear about their childhood, which at Benya, the building of the airport and St. Boniface Church and stuff like that, that's the childhood for many people, you yes, know. it is, and their their childhood memories of the library are quite amazing. I Are you sure you're not an officer of the Historical Society? You know positive. so much about well, it. Well, Arliss, if somebody comes here every month and fills my open head with all this stuff, I, I know a lot about a little. <laughs> oh, I know a little about a lot, I think is what I'm trying to say. Thank you so much for coming by. I do love these... Uh, always the fourth Friday of every month we have the Historical Society on. And then the third Friday of every month we have Jack Freiberg and Chuck Schultz. That is so becoming the most popular Mary Griffith show that I wouldn't be surprised if Mary Griffith isn't replaced pretty soon by Jack <laughs> Freiberg and Chuck Schultz. I'm keeping an eye on them. If I see their, you know, if I see their agent come in with them one time and then go to the, my boss's office, I know I'm in trouble. So keep listening to the Mary Griffith show as long as Chuck and Jack don't take over completely. And Arliss, you're welcome back anytime. Well, thank How's you. How's Rob Mellon? Has have we heard from the boy? Yes, we do. Okay. We do. We get emails he's from in him, Poland, text right? messages. I think he's can't... in Germany. Oh, okay. You can't say the... where he is. <laughs> we, we, we... He, he's safe. Let's he's put it safe. that way. He is he's safe. safe. And we think he says he's in Germany. We don't know. He might be tunneling into Ukraine even as we speak. Could well, be. Could be. We'll never know. Thank you so very much. Thank you.